Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb And welcome to Groundhog Minute, the podcast where we celebrate the 1993 classic Groundhog Day one repetitive minute at a time. I'm your host, Dave. And I'm your other host, Sean. And joining us once again today, we have our special guest from the Protagonist Podcast, Joe. Welcome back. Thank you for having me again. Glad I didn't blow things so badly in the first minute <laughs> that you just said no. Yeah, uh, not only hey. having you on for one. <laughs> hey, it's Groundhog Time. No, uh, <laughs> we want to welcome you to the show. And today we are here to talk about Minute 24. All right. So in minute 24, we get uh, we start with Phil just cannot handle this uh, repeat of the ceremony walks off mid broadcast. So unprofessional, uh, leaving Rita and Larry quite confused. We cut to Phil getting another cold shower. And finally, he ends up in bed asking, when will the long distance lines be fixed? And what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. (laughs) Such a great line. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad the head swiveling is back in this minute because we didn't get we didn't get a lot of it. We got like nervous, neurotic Phil, but now we're back to nervous, ticking, head swiveling Phil. That's prime. There's a really strong uh, spin that he does in this too, like a full body swivel <laughs> when uh, they're about to announce <laughs> the the groundhog, and you see so much hope in him, which I think you need to see that hope where he's like maybe something's going to be different right now. And this is, my, and it seems like he's pinning all his hopes on the groundhog having an opposite reaction from the day before. <laughs> and when he sees it's the same reaction or, you know, the same prediction, that's when he throws his mic down and walks off. As you noted, very unprofessional though. I do have to say, uh, Chris Elliott also drops his camera, <laughs> which he should stay on the groundhog announcement. I think, uh, you know, until that's fully completed, but you need that hope that he has for it to come crashing down to make his storming offset, uh, you know, more, uh, like emotionally valid. Um, cause he, he really was still, um, exploring the possibility that this wasn't just a, an exact repeat of the day before. <laughs> well, yeah, because what are the chances that the groundhog sees his shadow again? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the thing that breaks him that he, he can't handle. <laughs> but yeah, we've got the swivel wall and just the, the mic, just the, the mic shaking in his hand, like the head starts <laughs> kind of nodding and then the mic is shaking and we get little, just yeah, a, a man slowly breaking, like psychically, like his his brain <laughs> fracturing in that moment yeah. with the and then the swivel and the crowd, and actually, I, I so I have a question about um, about the crowd at this point, and I want to mm-hmm. get your opinion, Joe, and, and you, Dave, as well. So, what just to back up a little bit, what so we're tracking a couple things. Um, if, if you haven't seen this movie before and you're just watching it with us minute by minute, maybe you're picking up that there's going to be some some repeats. We're going to see some things over and over again. And so one of the things that I'm trying to keep track of is the number of times we see we see Phil get slapped. And, and so far, we've seen one slap. Uh, that was yesterday when Rita gave it to him good. Um, another Marking. thing I'm, I'm, I'm tracking is uh, the titular lines, the number of times someone says Groundhog Day inside uh, the Groundhog Day movie. And then um, one of the things, I forget who it was, but but one of our guests had pointed out the the double fills that 
when when Ned first sees Phil, he goes, Phil, Phil. And then when immediately following, when Phil's walking in onto uh, Gobbler's Knob and Rita sees him, she also goes, Phil, Phil, gives him a double Phil. And, and they've both done that twice. They did it the first time through. They've, they've done it again um, earlier this week. And what we also get in this minute is the crowd chanting, Phil, Phil. So does that count as a double fill? Is it just anytime someone says Phil twice is a double fill? Or do they have to specifically be addressing Phil Connors for it to count as a double fill? Uh, I'd say uh, you announce the the full tally, but have an asterisk and say, you know, five of these were addressing the the groundhog and all the others are are to fill. Okay. All right. Column A, column B. All right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So, so we do get we get a fill fill chant from the crowd, but they're we assume they're chanting for the groundhog, not the uh, not the weatherman, not the weatherman. He's not yet such a celebrity in the town that everyone knows his name. Yeah, <laughs> although maybe maybe before the day is over, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> At a uh, second twenty three, I get to see that official lady with the with the big gold badge on, which I don't know what that is, but. I was like, I, every time I see her, I always like to try to get a look at that badge. Yeah. And like, so what is she? Yeah. She does look very official. Like what's her, her, what's her position in the, the groundhog hierarchy. I like to think that she's, she may be part of like a, um one of those in the town societies, kind of like, you know, like uh it was a Knights <laughs> of Columbus, Masons, <laughs> like, something like that, where it's like, maybe it's a group that like, they're not exactly with the council, but they're because she's not on the she's not on the stage, so she's not with the immediate high elder council guys. <laughs> right, but maybe she's the head of some kind of other uh, groundhog yeah. uh, celebratory group. Maybe she's like the the head of the daughters of Punxsutawney. Boom! <laughs> that's that's the perfect name for it. Because I was trying to think like what what are like yeah what are they yeah because you have the Sons of Liberty and like yeah the daughters yeah yeah I like that. <laughs> Daughters of the Groundhog. And so so speaking of officials, we get um, – well, one, we get another shot of who I think is the creepy Groundhog official with the <laughs> bow tie who's right behind uh, Brian Doyle Murphy. So while while the proclamation is being read, the, um, the guy who just looks like he's itching to do unspeakable things to that poor little creature – um, this, this is a guy who definitely orders his steak very rare. <laughs> if you uh, pause it at the right moment, he has a very creepy eyebrow arch going on. Uh, I just caught that while I was scrubbing through the minute and stopped. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's not just me. Like, oh, yeah. It's his, what, like, the, and it's just one eyebrow. Just kind of. Yeah. Yes. He's creepy. His, 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 <laughs> eyes, his eyes glance to the proclamation. His eyes glance back to the groundhog. Doesn't then like he, he kind of like didn't move his head for a minute yeah. there. He's just like, uh, yeah. So I wonder yeah. if it's like, is that, you know, is that like a, is it a regional euphemism? Like when you say like, oh, he saw a shadow, you know, nudge, nudge. Like, does that, oh yeah. We know what that <laughs> means around here. When, when a guy's seeing a shadow, oh, <laughs> <laughs> he got me there. <laughs> Cause yeah, he, it just doesn't seem like, the a normal reaction to that proclamation. Like, oh. Have you guys I, explored why it's only men up reading the proclamation? 
Like, is this a uh, like an Augusta situation, and eventually they're going to let women in, or <laughs> that's, see, that's just like just yeah. this year happens to be all men? Uh, <laughs> well, that's that's no, I swear that's why I kind of brought up that lady because I saw her in earlier minutes and stuff, and she was really close to the stage, but she didn't have that that same flower on. She didn't have any top hat. She. She only had like a dark blue coat with that she badge. She could on. work the top hat. I oh, think yeah. the top hat. She she could carry that off pretty well. Heck yeah. I, I yeah. I imagine it's just only the um, you know, the most able, the most competent groundhog officials actually get up onto the stage, and it's entirely coincidence that for a hundred and thirteen years in a row that all, all the most competent and, and worthy officials have all been men. I'm sure it's, <laughs> it's just pure meritocracy, no patriarchy involved. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, you know, and maybe it's, it's like a hereditary. Um, no, that's probably not the right word, but maybe it's, it's one of those things that pass down like from father to son. And as soon as, you know, as soon as somebody has a son, and who's sorry, a girl, Sally, she can go up on the stage. <laughs> Well, I, hey, I, I hope so, because, like, I mean, that would make except the creep guy would make a lot more sense if it's like, oh, he's uh, the one elder guy's, like, son. Like, oh. So I'm counting, it. like, right now I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven top-hatted men top up on the stand. How many men does it take to make a pro- read a proclamation about a groundhog? Well, apparently eleven is is the answer <laughs> right here. But do you think in other years there's been more or fewer, or is it always eleven? Never more, never less. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also here, he, he, he uh, the people on stage. Uh, have we talked about this, Sean? On the right is the groundhog king and queen. Have we talked about we, them? No, we, we talk have not them. talked about the the king and queen Shoot. of the groundhog. I mean, we could save it for another time. We get a better shot of them. But you get, in the first few seconds, you see the king because he has the K <laughs> on, and K. I remember her. <laughs> no, I remember he had a K sash and she had a Q sash yeah. on, and that was oh, it. They didn't it, have it's they a had little red sash, yeah. right? Yeah. And I just I remember seeing them in earlier minutes. I didn't, I didn't bring that up, but yeah, they clearly won some kind of young young couples contest, like a prom thing, and they're standing in the background. And then you have the guy on the stairs in the gray fedora, so he gets the like half stand on the. Uh, and there's some guy who's camouflage like, in the back too. Yeah. Well, and there's you know there's uh, looks like a national guardsman or, or someone in camo in the back as well. Yeah. There's there's security. Yeah. There's there's security going on. Yeah, and that guy on the because stairs. Because you never know when someone's going to try and steal a groundhog, so you have to have security there. It could happen, guys. Possibly. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't doubt it. Yeah, we haven't. Yeah, we'll probably we'll have to save that. I haven't done my research yet on the the king and queen of <laughs> of Groundhog Day yet. I've, uh, this is one of my favorite movies. I've watched this movie many times, and I have no, never noticed the Groundhog King and Queen. So I'm so glad that you guys are diving in deep <laughs> and bringing little bits like that to my knowledge. Yeah, there's that, a Groundhog that's King un- and Queen in the background. That's what's insane. They didn't need to have them up there. They have a plenty of guys up there, and you go, all right, that's the Groundhog Council. Didn't done. It's like somebody, some idea, maybe some early draft. Uh, Sean, if you ever find it in the one of the early drafts, if there's ever like he meets with them or something, because maybe like it wouldn't that have been interesting if they were the same couple that go to WrestleMania later. Like I was just thinking, they're getting that. married. Like yeah. I was kind of curious, like why not just try to rope them both together? Like that's the first time you see them. And then they, we, they, he sees them later in the diner, 
and then you know that'd be kind of interesting so essentially it's like this this is a separate couple entirely from the ones that he talks to later well yeah and i want i think this i will have to confirm i mean is that michael shannon back there (laughs) standing i don't i don't think it is i don't think it is the the same couple that that he gives the WrestleMania tickets to. I don't think that is uh, Shannon back there, but that would, I, I actually, I, I kind of like that. That'd be kind of cool if it was, I kind of lean towards this being like an actual thing that they do in Punk's Atani because at least I'm not sure when, um, or I'm not sure if, if this gets mentioned in later versions of the script. I know at least the initial version uh, from the, the, the first draft of the script from Danny Rubin did not include the King and the Queen. But he does say, like, they visited Punxsutawney, they they observed an actual ceremony um, to kind of to kind of fill out the script. When he first wrote the script, he just he knew it existed, but he had never been. He hadn't done any research on the actual uh, ceremony or what goes on in town, and and they kind of filled in a lot of that stuff later. So my feeling is, if it's in the movie and it wasn't in that first version of the script, at least in terms of this minute, it's probably stuff that that actually happens, but. Uh, yeah, so that's I guess a little something to to for the listeners to hang on to. So when we come back to this minute in the future, um, maybe we'll have more on the King of the Queen. I just yeah. I just love that they like <laughs> yeah like Whoa. they're not. Gonna I will just know. say, guys, if you Google Groundhog King and Queen Punxsutawney, yeah. there's there's some information for your future episodes. I'll just say that. Okay, <laughs> we'll have to do. I just I just All love right. that like you. you no one's gonna know. Oh, who are you? Well, it's the okay. He must be the king, and she's the queen because she's got a cue. Because otherwise, how would anyone know who, who these people are? Yeah, it's are? not a big stash. It's like a little, almost like a, like a little little handkerchief in his pocket. That's about it. No crowns, no royal capes, no scepters, no nothing. And I said they're just wearing both. They're both wearing denim, just kind of being polite in the corner. They're not even like front stage at all. So it's, I don't know. I, the only thing I think of is that it'd be so funny if, like, as I said, like. I I always wonder how that stuff gets created. Like, you know, as a writer director kind of like say, Oh, we want to get some other ideas for stories we may write while we're in town mm-hmm. and like, just come up with some ideas. And then like, like, Oh, what if we did that? We did that. And like, oh, okay. So we'll sign some of these extras, these roles, right. give them no lines right now. And then maybe later, if we decide we want to have that, well, it, it's so funny. It looks like okay. I, well, I've I've gone down a little rabbit hole. Uh, it looks like it is the Punxsutawney area high school annually crowns a groundhog queen and king, uh, and you can find many news articles about the groundhog kings and queens going back a few years. Oh, That's wow! What I'm so it is a prom kind of situation where it's like in the high school they have decided this couple will be offered as tribute. Well, I like I like it because yeah. so there's probably a homecoming king and queen like the homecoming dance and that's that's like towards the end of football season so for high school that's like november and then prom is at the end of the year is like may june so this kind of divides up then the middle of the school year february you have your your groundhog king and queen so you just kind of you know spread it out a little yeah. bit so it's not just beginning and end of the year you've got a little thing right in the middle there i think the the timing works out well, well yeah <laughs> 
So, I mean, this this uh, goes well with what you were just saying. This is an article from the Washington Post in 2006, and it says, like Christmas and Halloween, Groundhog Day has sprawled into a season, at least in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Events go on for days, though things really heat up today, Groundhog Day Eve. A groundhog king and queen will be crowned at the local high school. Couples will be married in the presence of local groundhog officials, and there's a traditional banquet, the prognosticator's ball, and a midnight screening of the movie Groundhog Day. So that's from 2006. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It, it spread out for a little bit. Oh wow! So this is, guys. I've got to say, when you asked me to be on, I had no idea the things I was going to learn in these minutes from these minutes of Groundhog Day. You start wow. down the Groundhog Day hole, and it just keeps getting deeper. <laughs> I mean, it's been a pleasure to be on and discover this about the Groundhog King and Queen. Gosh, this is so fun. We haven't. I would. I gotta. So. I don't want to jump ahead. I don't want to jump ahead, but I got it. I got to like get to the part where it's like, you know, he's left and the two of them are just in shock. And I don't <laughs> like the fact that we jump to the shower, like too much time passes that we don't get to see Phil. I'm bummed out. Oh yeah. Yeah. In, in the, in this minute. And also, um, I mean, again, it just feels like, uh, he's being unprofessional, but when, uh, when Chris Elliott, what's his character's name again? Uh, in, in the movie. Yeah, when he drops the camera, I was like, no, you stay on the ceremony up there. I don't care if your talent just walked off. Yeah. You keep filming what you were you were filming at that moment. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, not not the best moment for Larry. I agree there. But yeah, so we jump ahead. So this is, you know, the original proclamation is in minute 14, and then the cold shower is minute 17. We have the whole day. Do they does he get in the van? We know later on he doesn't bother leaving. He doesn't even want to leave it. He you know reaches the point where he doesn't even want to leave or try to leave after like what? I did he go through with that because when he's in bed the clock says four. Is that four in the afternoon? <laughs> Is he like just calling a day at four in the afternoon? Because <laughs> who was he talking to at four in the morning about? That's wow. true. No tomorrow. That true. I didn't think about that. So maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this didn't jump like ten hours. Maybe he thought I'll get the shower earlier this time. Nah, still yeah, I'll, I'll get the go call it. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll get the shower guys. before they run out of hot water. Wow, this just I assumed it was four a.m. But yeah, I guess it could be. This is just four after he just yeah, he drops fine. the mic. He heads right back to the hotel, shower, bed. I'm you know. <laughs> He's literally doing like some people joke like, oh, I'm having a bad day. I should like get it, get into bed and get out of bed and, and restart. Like he's doing that for real. He's like, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to go to bed and pretend this day never happened. And uh, so we see him in bed and he's got a pencil. So I like to assume that he has, he's looking down at either a legal book or like his black book. And he's probably trying to network call his way out of town. He's going, can I, hey, can I get the number of XYZ? Then he calls that person. Hey, can I get the, and he's trying to see how far he could get before hitting mm-hmm. the, the long distance lines. That's my best guess. Because I don't say who, do we don't really know who he's talking to, but I'm guessing it's somebody who he believes is in, in on the, the, you know, the, because he asked about the lines. So I guess that person must be part of the phone company or something. He works his way to that, to this manager or something. Yeah, so I don't know, Joe, do you have any thoughts? We're, we're trying to figure out, we saw that the first day, you know, he's trying to get through and he, he can't, and now he's trying again, and the, the, the long distance lines are, are down because of the blizzard. Like, if, if the roads are closed, if all the roads out of town are, are, are closed because of the blizzard, what good, like, who could he call? What good is a phone call going to do? And the only thing I could think of is, is, well, like, maybe trying to call Kenny 
to kind of give him a heads up, you know, back at in Pittsburgh, like you're going to have to cover for me. I'm not going to make it back for, for the five o'clock kind of thing. Yeah. The, for the five o'clock. And if it, this is four in the afternoon, yeah. so maybe he's trying to get word there. Maybe um, if it has, is the afternoon, I can't see him caring about Kenny. Like I can't see him caring. Yeah. He's like, whatever. Yeah. Kenny will figure it out. Cause it's like, he can't, it's 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 more about him trying to get out of the town than it is just trying to find any any transportation service that yeah. would travel that is still going to be active. Yeah, is that what's happening? I, don't, I mean, yeah, I agree. There's a little conundrum there. I do kind of wish we had a day one time where uh, it was just him uh, trudging, <laughs> and we see how far he could have walked before <laughs> six a.m. hit, and he woke up back up in his bed. <laughs> um. I mean, maybe he's trying to not get back to Pittsburgh, but maybe he's trying to find another way. Like rather than because, all right. So Punxsutawney, we looked, was about is about an hour north east of Pittsburgh. So maybe instead of trying to call back into Pittsburgh, he's trying to call maybe out toward Philly now. He's like, or up to New York. He's like, if I can get somebody to like in the next few hours get to me this way, I'll go east since I can't go west. And I'll just get right, out of yeah. town in a there, different way. Yeah. And then maybe I'll take a plane back to Pittsburgh. Like in his mind, if, as long as I get out of this town, I'll be safe. So let me yeah, call. Yeah, just trying to find anything at yeah. all. Like I'll go to a different state. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, maybe he's trying to reach uh, maybe someone in Harrisburg. or I think what's – yeah, we can't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's probably got you know friends in State College or something. Even Altoona maybe. He's like, I'll take my chances yeah, on Altoona. He's not – it looks like Harrisburg's not too much further away than Pittsburgh, and yeah, Altoona would be <laughs> would be closer. And you know, these are both, um, yeah, heading east instead of west. There's not too much. There's not too much north. I guess the next major city north is Buffalo, although that's considerably further. But yeah, so maybe he's trying to. Maybe there's a there's probably like a regional airport. There's not going to be a big inter- international jobby, but maybe there's a. Uh, like yeah, small local airport. He can see if there's a flight out of town. Just yeah, anything to get away from from Punxsutawney. But it ain't happening here. <laughs> yes, and take an aspirin on an empty stomach. From what I can guess, I mean, unless he he didn't mention the diner, so I can't assume he went to the diner to eat. I assume he just ran back to the to the house, and maybe he maybe he like grabbed some food that, you know, that Mrs. Lancaster still has out. Because I mean, he left at like I'm guessing he dropped the mic around like you know six thirty, ran back, grabbed the rest of her muffins, and just ran upstairs and was just like, oh, I just got to eat this, and then just take a nap, and I'll, and I'll wake back up, and then I'll figure out what I can yeah, do. Yeah, he's done yeah. with the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, we know it's it's uh, well, it's actually seven twenty and thirty seconds. That uh, Phil the Groundhog pops his head out. So yeah, he could have been back back at the inn by seven thirty and seven twenty. Gosh, that is so like late, like late in the morning, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the the actual like, ceremony you know, is is earlier, super early. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. In in the movie, it's at seven twenty and thirty seconds. And yeah, he may get back, and like people are still sipping coffee and and the fruit salad's still out, but. Um, Oh yeah, the whole spread would still be there, right? So, so jumping ahead, uh, but yeah, I am still curious. Like, what did he do this day? Like, even if it is, even if we're saying it's four in the afternoon, that's did he do anything? 
on this day. Well, yeah, because we've we you know we see a lot of things he do he does during the day. We see him. Well, we see him do a lot of different things, but they're all things that he wouldn't be doing at this point. Like he hasn't figured out how to use this loop to seduce women, and he hasn't reached the point where he's trying to kill himself yet. So a lot of the other things we see, and, and a lot of the things we see him do, depend on him kind of knowing the routine of the town. He's not going to be, um, you know, he probably hasn't started started trying to rob banks and drive cars along train tracks and stuff because he's not, you know, he's not completely believing what's happening. Oh, yeah. you know what, guys? So what? Last last minute, I think we said he never hurts anyone else. But I've always wondered with that train track scene, what happens to the cop car that was right Ooh. behind them? Mm. Uh, I can't bring it. Oh, it's uh, a, didn't think I, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry for breaking the timeline. Yeah. I, yeah. The, the only time – the first time I'll see that is when I'm doing the minute summary notes. So okay. I can't – Well, file that away. File I, that away for I, the future. I, it's so funny is I – once once we started this podcast, I haven't watched the film because I didn't want to – um, think about it until yeah. it was actually minute by minute. And I asked, God, I forgot that was Michael Shannon, a young yeah. Michael Shannon. Yeah. Are you serious? It's, it's a good Shannon? movie. You should watch it sometime. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, I did. I, you know, it's kind of funny. Just, I just I always imagine Michael Shannon is a middle-aged guy, but no, he's been acting for a while. It's just one of those things. Um, so let's, let's, let's pretend let's walk through what this day could have been that we don't see. So, okay. He leaves. Rita and Larry have to find a way to scrounge the footage that's good enough um, with either B-roll or something mm-hmm. non-fill stuff. And then she's probably got to call – she's probably going to either – I don't know. Because like, Larry's going to be like under the impression, oh, okay, should I just start packing the bags and get the truck warmed up? And then Rita's either got to – she's either going to try to call the station. She's not going to get through because of long-distance lines. And then I'm guessing she's going to have to go – she probably – because the thing is, like, will she go to the bed and breakfast? Will she knock on Phil's door and say, "All right, Phil, before we go back to Pittsburgh, you know, we need to get our story straight <laughs> of what's going on." Because yeah. I know I'm going to be in a meeting with the, the network, and they're going to ask me why was why did Phil walk off the walk off the, the set mid broadcast, and I'm going to have to I'm going to have to explain that to him because it's going to be my butt on the line because I can't apparently organize you to do this. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, this could have been a really interesting day to explore because he's still in the, like, disbelief. Is this really happening? He's not resigned. We we see a lot of (laughs) resigned Phil later on. We're like, okay, yeah, this is my reality. Uh, And we could have spent a little more time with the, uh, is am I, what you know, trying to wrap his head around this um, and, and trying to make sense of this. And we just get him kind of confused uh frayed doing the news report then giving up on the news report and now we're jumping to him popping aspirin at a four o'clock and going to bed yeah because you, you could almost see, you i could almost see the scene in my head rita knocks on the door he opens his pajamas she says something along the lines of lines of we got to get this figured out what you know what's going on and he can't really give her the story because he doesn't believe in himself and then she sees the pajamas. She's like, I thought you wanted to leave this town. Don't you want to leave this town? Like Larry's in the van right now. We'll leave. And then he's like, yes, but I already know we can't. Like, he's like, I don't want to go through the whole winter blizzard thing again. I'm resigned to this pajamas. And I just want to try and sleep. Th- like, that's, that's the way it is. Yeah. Maybe I'll just sleep through and I'll wake up on the next day after Groundhog Day. And then we can leave and I'll be it'll be safe. 
I, li- I like the scene you're writing, uh, and I don't. I, I don't like the movie that's less. Accurate. I don't like the movie less for it not being there, but I feel like it could have been added and um, just added a, a you know a touch more to this very early phase of the repeats. I just don't feel like Rita would have shaken that off. She would have been like, "Okay, you just ruined like the job I was preparing today," and so I I just can't see her just being like letting him walk off. I think she would be like, he came. He was he was crazy talking like nonsense and stuff. One, the first thing he wanted me to do is slap him, and it apparently it didn't set him straight. So I feel like she would just go storm right to the to the bed and breakfast, or have Larry drive her over, and him like him in the car, like in the van, like in the street. Larry's just like, "Are we going? Are we not?" Like he made a big deal about leaving, and now he's in pajamas. Like yeah. there's a whole yeah. yeah. Better get going if we're gonna yeah. stay ahead of the story. That's so why I see Larry. Larry's like he's practical. He's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bitch a fit. But if we're leaving, let's do it. Why is he in his pajamas? And then she's going to be like, I guess not. And he'll be like, I guess we'll go to the dinner and then just like deal with Phil the next day. Like that's in my mind. That must be what's happening because like if <laughs> Phil's trying to sleep at four in the afternoon, it's like, well, what else? The heck, what what, what, what us two are yeah. going to do? So that makes sense that he he, he kind of just yeah. bails on the day. It, like just it being it makes sense that it being 4 p.m. rather than 4 a.m. That he's just, yeah, he's just bailing on the day and maybe not even answering the door when when Rita comes around knocking. Mm. Yeah, I could, I could definitely yeah. see that. And in my head canon, this is now definitely 4 p.m. and not 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it makes sense. He wouldn't be calling people from like all day and night. Like he would have given up at some point. He wouldn't be like, I mean, there, yeah, it hits a point where he's like, I, yeah. I'd rather sleep. I'd rather take this aspirin and sleep. Than trying to find a long because I said at four a.m. What who's going to pick up at four a.m. to say oh, yeah, I'll drive out? Yeah, I'll take my I'll take my my my, uh, my bulldozer and drive it down. Yeah, well, I think they would have shown that. So if he had spent, let's assume, like from yeah from seven thirty this morning until four a.m., he's been yeah calling airports, calling you know snowmobile rentals plows just whatever he can do to try to get out of this town i think that's something they would have shown us like they would have given us a little bit of that if that's what he was doing all day and then another thing like that didn't it didn't occur to me when i was thinking that this was 4 a.m is okay it makes sense later on for him to try to stay up all night to see like okay if i'm if i don't wait for the alarm to wake me up at 6 a.m if i'm already awake like, will that break the cycle and, and, you know, what happens then? But that's that's later on when he kind of figures out that there's a cycle happening. It's kind of early for him to be doing that, to be staying up on purpose. So I think that just all goes to the argument that, yeah, this is it's 4 p.m. He he's just retreating. He hasn't really done much other than get into pajamas and climb into bed. It's like I, that's, I feel like that's why this was cut. Because if they spent more time on this, it would, I think, make the next day that he sees less funny. Because mm-hmm. we don't really spend too much time with Phil. I said, we see Phil get up this morning, him being concerned. But really, once the groundhog bit happen, it happens again, he kind of leaves. And then we just have this quick scene. We go to the next day. It's even more crazy. Yeah. So it's like they didn't want us to think about this scene of like, what do Rita and Larry do now? Because this, mm-hmm. this is the first time that we've seen him not want to leave the town now, technically first time he did. And they got caught in a snowstorm. Here's the second time he's more than happy to retreat 
put pajamas on and not talk to them about how much he wants to leave the town. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like the, like the scene that you kind of pitched, <laughs> but at the same time, this movie's pacing is so key. And so, and it's done so well, like what we have yeah. is done so well. Would adding anything, throw it off and like, I accept the version that we have as a great film, uh, but I really do enjoy the the kind of scene you imagined of her pounding on his door saying, <laughs> Phil, I need a story to, to tell my bosses. It would have been a beautiful, like, I feel like it, it could have been a beautiful deleted scene. It'd been something that you're like, you've seen the movie a hundred times. You're like, let's go play with the deleted scenes. And it's like Rita, Rita confronts Phil in the bed and breakfast. She's like, Ooh, click that link. And then, yeah, it's have her bang on the door reaction shot of him opening it. They have that conversation. And him just trying, he can't give a straight answer because he's like, yeah, I want to leave the town, but I know we're going to call it in traffic. And just, and you can just cut to like, like a distant shot, like from the window of like Larry, like in the van, like, uh-huh. and him doing like the arms up, like, what are we doing? And I can see it. It's, it's so clear in my head because I know like that's, that's what Ramus would have done if he had that script. He would have been like, yeah, let's just shoot these scenes, have these little distant shots of like Larry being just like out of the loop. <laughs> oh i but as i like trying to imagine adding a scene to this i just start to like break down all of the the pacing and everything like the editor of this i know this movie did not receive tons of awards or anything like that like it was well received when it came out but i feel like the editor i don't know who it was but they deserve more credit for accomplishing uh a cohesive story in the in this uh in this style of storytelling that we have in this movie I, I absolutely agree. I got now. I got, now I have to like. I have to look that up for a little bit later. I don't want to. I don't want to like go into like the whole IMDb. But yeah, yeah somewhere in here is a is a real hero. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and I mean, obviously, everyone was on board. It, you know, the director, actors, writers were were making a great thing. But I just think about how key little choices about pacing must have been to make this movie the, how great it is. Oh, uh oh, uh oh! Sean's gonna like this one if I'm reading this correctly. The film editor was Pembroke Herring, who also directed National Lampoon's Vacation. Oh, there we go. Uh, he looks like he did Vacation yeah. and European. I don't see. I don't see him doing the other one now. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, because the guy that did Christmas Vacation hadn't seen the first two Vacation movies. Okay, it was a new guy they brought in. So interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, it's nice to kind of think about these other things, but I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing about the movie. You're right about the the pacing and everything. Uh everything works together so well. I want it filmed and I want a deleted scene. That's how I it's, I don't want it in the movie. It has to be there's a there's a few deleted scenes I actually like it that are not in movies, but make you think. And one of them is I'm gonna get on a tangent for a hot second. Mm-hmm. To live and die in LA. I think it was, I read it in a book by Vern. Um I think that's his name. He he was a book blog. He's a movie blogger, and he had a good point about this deleted scene that I liked. But it's essentially it's it's um it's not the main character uh, William Peterson, but it's his partner goes to visit his ex wife, and they immediately have a fight. But it's the reason he's going to her is essentially the same reason Crockett calls his wife in the pilot episode of Miami Vice. It's like, look, we're not working out together. But I'm about to do a job that's like really dangerous. I just feel like I need to talk to somebody who's like, mm-hmm. like maybe can like talk me out of it. But they essentially just have an argument anyway. And it's a deleted scene, but uh, William Freakin talks about it. How he like when he liked this scene, but he couldn't get it to end the movie because it really wasn't like you know was it, they were like so close to getting Willem Dafoe and having this huge battle 
that he's like, I couldn't get it in. But it's a really cool deleted scene to think about like this this character was like, I want to talk to my ex-wife, and then he immediately just has an argument with her. They immediately just fall into arguing. But he's like, he just wanted like someone to talk him out of like doing this crazy suicidal uh uh you know uh shootout. Um and it's kind so of like that's what I see that's well, I was gonna say there's um just recently at the time of this recording, uh a deleted scene of kind of an extended fight from The Last Jedi between Finn and Captain Phasma has been floating around the internet. Uh just got just got released. And everyone who I have like seen that have reactions to it have said, Oh, you know what? I like this scene better than what we had in the film as far as their um confrontation but they also add the caveat it probably would have ruined the flow uh and, and ruined the momentum for all the other scenes because it's cross cut with you know multiple other scenes that are going on so even if you like the one thing that you have you have to be aware of how it would fit into the whole and so you understand why the longer version of finn versus captain phasma ended up getting cut because once you think about it in terms of all the cross cutting of the final battles that are happening it kind of had to uh you, we had to have the briefer version that we get in the actual film, even though you watch this one separate thing and say, Oh, well, I kind of like that better than what I remember from the film itself. But that's not the job of filmmaking is to make each individual part, the best version of the individual part. It's to make the whole, the best version of the whole. Right. Yes. Yeah. What do you want to go off on last Jedi? I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm going to bite my lip. I'm not going to say anything. I, I think we should wrap things up before. I'm happy to. <laughs> before Dave bites through his lip and we got to call 911 I think we should <laughs> I think we should call it a day and then uh sa- save the last Jedi talk for another time because there's certainly a- plenty we can say <laughs> on that topic but <laughs> this is neither the time nor the point. Oh I I do want to say just circling back to Groundhog Day you know the topic of your podcast real quick here at the very end more than happy, uh, more than happy. Hey, yeah. the minute is like it cuts off right before he snaps the pencil yes um, but it's just such great economy of storytelling when they allow moments like that to stand in for what could have been a monologue in a lesser film of mm. like muttering to himself and talking through, okay, uh, I've got to prove that this is what, what I think is happening is what's happening. No, they just show him snap a pencil and set it there. And the ad- audience is entirely on board for what he's doing. And this film does so much um, where they allow little moments to stand in for, uh, again, what could have been, uh, handled with lesser hands, I think. Um, something that kind of felt awkward or forced. But mm-hmm. the snapping of the pencil is just so perfect to say, I'm going to try and understand, is my world really resetting the way I think it is? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think that goes to what what we found or what I'm finding going through a lot of this, you know, these movies minute by minute is a lot of it is talented people working very hard and, and coming together and collaborating. And then some of it is just a little luck or making the right decision at the right time. Uh, Harold Ramis talks about another idea they had was uh, to have Phil trash his room. And they t- he talks about him having like, like slashing the pillows open and then the, the stuffing flying everywhere. And he paints mm-hmm. the walls and he pulls apart the bed and he, he like gives himself a, a reverse mohawk. He like shaves a line <laughs> down the middle of his head and he, he does all this crazy stuff and then wakes up the next morning and everything's back to normal. And I think this that that loses something in the extremity. Like this is 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 better. Just the subtlety of, um, and and Dave and I will be around to to talk about it next minute. But you mm-hmm. won't be. So so yeah. yeah. Thanks. You can certainly bring up anything. But yeah. So it goes to that economy of we can do it simple, and you still get the idea. Yeah, I've across. listened to. Um- 
Oh, all of a sudden, uh, the Tobolowsky Files, I think was the name of the podcast, where Stephen Tobolowsky mm-hmm. would tell stories um, of life from any phase of his life you might get. But there's one episode where he talks about Groundhog Day, and I remember him talking about that very choice that, that you were just describing. Um, that, you know, that, that to go from the extreme to just a snap of a pencil, it's a pretty bold change, but the same message gets conveyed. And in some ways, the simplicity of the pencil uh, resonates more. Yeah. I, I it also gets that, that nice little feeling. It gets it just... That little frustration gets to take out, you know, gets to take it on that pencil. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like I said, I'll, I'll, I, I have to save a lot of my 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 feelings for the pencil. I love it, but I want to say it for now. But yeah, no, it's a, yes. it is a great. Yeah. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead for you guys. <laughs> Just a touch. No, it is great. No, it's great shorthand for what you know he's trying to convey to the audience. And like I said, like I'm glad I'm glad we have this over this this beautiful but deleted scene that I've written. With him and Rita argue. <laughs> yeah. The, the Groundhog Day fan. I would Day take the pencil then, 10 yeah. out of 10 times over my scene. Yeah. Um, and I think just as like a representative of what this film does, so many times they choose for that less is more. Um, like I can imagine versions of this film that were being made where there's a monologue about the lessons he's learned repeating the day over and over. We don't get that. And yet we all feel the lesson. Like the moral tale is there, but it's being shown, not told to us. Uh, and I just appreciate the skill with which this film manages to thread some of those needles. Yeah. And I'm so glad one, another one of the things that was in the original, the first version of the script was a um, voiceover from Phil kind of narrating what he's thinking and his experience of, and he, he kind of tries to explain when, uh, you know, when he, when he punches Ned or some of the other things he does, he try kind of explains it through a voiceover saying, well, you know, if you had, if you had been through what I'd go through, you'd, you'd, you'd understand what I'm doing here. And I think it's so much better the, the, that just, I, I can't imagine this movie with that kind of voiceover or, or that kind of narration really would have not, not been the same, but it's, it's so good to leave it out there. Cause we do, we do understand it. Um, I think the message does get across in a, in a much more subtle way. Yeah. So, um, so, so Dave and I, we're going to hold yeah. off on, <laughs> on pencil talk and, and other things for, for next minute. But Joe, I think that, you know, well, not, I, not, I don't think I know because I'm one of the hosts that, um, so this will be your last minute with us. So anything else groundhog or groundhog day related you want to you feel you need to get off your chest before we wrap up uh, this is just absolutely one of my favorite films and i think it's one of the most uh perfectly structured films and you see so many talented people bringing their full focus to tell this story and i think it accomplished something that's that's pretty remarkable uh and is absolutely standing the test of time so i'm really glad that you guys are dissecting it uh one minute at a time and i've mentioned a couple times that this is just for me, one of the great mm-hmm. like modern morality tales that Hollywood has has put out into popular culture. And I remember, again, referencing that um, it's a really delightful podcast. He hasn't done it, updated it for a while, but Stephen Tobolowsky's um, Tobolowsky Files, in when he did the episode talking about Groundhog Day, he mentioned that he receives fan mail from... Uh, from so many different religions saying this resonates with my religion. And I use this to teach a class, you know, in, uh, you know, in, in talking about the Jewish faith or talking about uh, Catholic or, or Mormon or uh, so many different religions. And I think there's something um, in the way that this tale gets handled that just resonates about the idea of being better and, and um, finding ways to improve yourself is, is, 
and and by doing that, you're going to improve others um, versus the very narcissistic and cynical version of Phil that we get at the end, the very um, outgoing and positive version at the end. It makes everything in that whole town better and happier to have someone like that. And I think that's a message that transcends uh, religious dogma. It transcends, um, it, you know, all kind of moral um, uh, lenses through which you're going to view the world. world. Um, choosing to be better to yourself and better to others it just works as a message for a film. And in this film manages to hand that out in a way that doesn't feel cheesy and schmaltzy and makes you roll your eyes and groan that you're being force fed, um, you know, an Aesop's fable moral at the end of it. And so I think the, the filmmakers uh, just do a fabulous job of uh, doing the kind of film and story that I think sometimes gets resisted as being too simplistic and too um, treacly and, <laughs> you know, just, just too positive. And they do it in a way that is just, hilarious and so entertaining to watch and rewards repeat viewing. And you would think a film with the structure of groundhog day would not reward repeat viewing because <laughs> it, it does it to itself right. uh, within the film itself, but it absolutely does. And I, and there's so many little things that you can pick up, like finding out that there's the groundhog king and queen <laughs> on the, on the podium uh, with Punxsutawney Phil there. So uh, I look forward to listening to uh, you guys continue your dissection of one of my favorite films. Wow. Thank you. That is some high praise. Yeah. I I agree with all that, including how wonderful we are as a podcast. (laughs) 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 Which I don't know if you actually included that, Joe, but it was I read between the lines. I heard. Yeah, I heard what we needed to hear. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah you, uh whatever message you needed just assume i said it guys oh well, you know what i'll just by let the lesson from the movie is i'm just gonna listen to that over and over again till you say what i want to hear <laughs> that's that's my takeaway yes, and it, it will come eventually <laughs> all right so well so thanks a lot um so joe once again if folks want to hear more of your your wonderful insightful comments on movies and and other things where can they find you uh, i would recommend that they go check out the feed for the protagonist podcast where each week we talk about a great character in a great story and at this point we've been doing it weekly for uh for several years and so there's almost we're heading towards 200 uh episodes wow. so if you have a favorite character uh or movie or book or comic book uh or novel you could go check through our feed and see if we have covered it for a discussion or if you want to send us any recommendations we always uh welcome recommendations or suggestions for characters and stories that we need to cover yeah thank you and and so dave if folks want to hear more from us or or give us feedback on how wonderful we're doing is there some place where they can do that oh yes they can find us online at groundhogminute.com and they could join the conversation on facebook at gobbler's knob the groundhog minute (laughs) listeners group they can follow the show on twitter at at groundhog minute and they can always reach us at groundhog minute at gmail.com So that's it for us. Thank you for listening, and we will see you tomorrow, if there is one.